This is Marco Reus. This is Shinji Kagawa. This is Nuri Shahin. Hello, this is Jaden Sancho. And you're listening to the Yellow Wall podcast. Hello and welcome to episode 362 of the Yellow Pod. I'm your host Stefan Butzko and today we will talk about Champions League delight, a 3-2 win away to FC Sevilla, which allows Dortmund fans to dream about the quarterfinal. That game alone would be enough to fill a whole episode, but we have to preview the last Revier Derby. For that and more joins me Lars Poermann. Hello Lars, uh, glad to have you back again so soon after you uh, had me out on the uh, Marco Rose Emergency Podcast on Monday. How are you doing? As always, Stefan, I'm quite tired, uh, <laughs> which is solely down to the fact that you are located in the US and we are always recording in the witching hour of German time, but nevertheless, somewhat excited to talk about Dortmund again. Yeah, it's seven after 8 p.m. last. I'm sure you <laughs> you will not be uh, falling asleep quite yet. But uh, in order to wake you up a little, uh, I uh, compilated the goals for the uh, Sevilla segment, so here they are. From Haaland, into space here for Dahoo. Goes for goal and finds it! A quite brilliant goal from Mahmoud Dahoo! Haaland, typical forceful run from him. Can he get in there? Oh, you bet he can! That is Erling Haaland all over. A driving run at the heart of the Sevilla defence. And he was on to the return pass in a flash. Defeat in Europe and they're slow in possession there. And it's a three on one momentarily. And Haaland is in! And that is the inevitable outcome. Erling Haaland on the mark again. So that was obviously a fun game to watch. At least uh, for me it was. I did not expect Dortmund uh, to be that clinical in front of goal. Um, Lars, uh, what surprised you? What did not surprise you? How did you see the game in general? Where do you want to start by discussing it? Well, I want to start with the commentator calling him Dahoo, which <laughs> I think is making things too difficult for himself because it's just Dahoot, but nevertheless um since i wasn't on the uh preview show i can confidently say that i saw everything coming and <laughs> definitely predicted a 3-2 win for dortmund with a Haaland brace and a dahoud screamer from distance i mean that to me that was fairly obvious but uh as some of us aren't so uh well versed in the prediction game uh, i will entertain the thought of being surprised uh and I would say then, if that were the case, that I would be surprised with the general switched onness by of the team. <laughs> I mean, they uh, had a lot of uh, that they, they won possession high up the field a lot. Uh, you know, they do that in the Bundesliga as well, but typically they don't know what to do with the ball afterwards. And I think we've talked about that in previous episodes uh, in regards to, for example, Jude Bellingham, who wins the ball quite a lot, but oftentimes the immediate action afterwards isn't quite there yet. And against Sevilla, I think uh, they were quite sharp in those instances. I think uh, Terzic made the made a good call with his midfield selection obviously uh, being forced into it to an extent with uh, Delaney uh, staying home for the birth of his first child um, but you know playing three fairly aggressive but also uh, forward-minded midfielders in in Emre Can, Bellingham and uh, Dahoud worked really well and also the uh, idea to play Haaland in a bit different role to usual to have him run at the uh, very good Sevilla defenders uh, Kunde and Diego Carlos with a bit more uh, space I think that was also quite quite a good idea and generally it worked out so well for 
let's say the 35 or so minutes after conceding and before uh, the halftime break. That was arguably, I would say, the best Dortmund have played under Terzic. I would say that was even better than the second half against Leipzig. But, I mean, not to be Debbie Downer, but I think in the second half they were too passive at times. I think substitutions came a bit late, even though I can understand not trusting the guys on the bench too much at this point. And, I mean, conceding that easy a goal by uh, Luke de Jong who does nothing else but lurk at the back post and and finish easy chances I mean he I think Terzic said after the game that de Jong decided the Europa League final against Inter basically that way and I think that was definitely something that they will have talked about and uh, I think Emre Can just kind of forgot what he was supposed to do there so could have been even better. I think also Dortmund should have had a penalty in the first half when Papu Gomez used his elbow to block a cross from, I suppose, Matteo Moreira. Uh -huh. might have been Marco Reus even. So, I think it was Reus. You know, so all in all, I think while there were some negative aspects to it, I think when you score three away goals, should have had a penalty at a, a very decent side in Sevilla, not necessarily a great side, but a decent side, who were in a really good run of form, which you would have talked about in the previous show, mm -hmm. I suppose. Uh, I don't want to be too negative about it. I think, as I said, the 35 minutes from the first conceded goal to the uh, halftime whistle, that was arguably the best they've played in as, uh, months even. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, uh, Tessic himself invoked Leipzig's second half. And uh, I would agree with you. I think this half was a little better also because it happened in the Champions League. And uh, yeah, I mean, obviously, it's a little bit vexing that uh, Sevilla in the form of Susu, I think, uh, scored that opener because it, was a, it wasn't a really well-placed shot, but uh, Marvin Hitz would have... Had it covered, had it not been for uh, Mats Hummels' foot that uh, deflected the ball right over the goalkeeper. Um, obviously, Jane Sancho can do a little bit better, um, but I don't think uh, you would expect Susu to take a, uh, a pump fake, basically, and then, uh, uh, yeah, take it with his right, because I think he is left-footed. Um, but, uh, yeah, that these things happen. Uh, Jose Perez in the... Uh, in the preview did allude to Sevilla being very good at switching play and uh, it was a throw-in situation if I recall correctly but uh, um, the ball to Suso sort of was a switch of play um, obviously very high up the field uh, but nevertheless it uh, caught Dortmund out a little bit obviously Jaden Sancho can do better Jude Bellingham can also do better in uh, blocking or deflecting or closing down the shot or the player before he takes a shot um, but yeah, nev nevertheless, it, it was very annoying. Um, however, obviously, big credit to Matthias and uh, me for agreeing, I guess, <laughs> because he sort of called the 4-3-3 uh, in the preview. He said that this was uh, probably a good idea to play that way, to have a little bit more uh, defensive solidity in midfield uh, with, with this sort of lineup. And uh, um, yeah, if you, if you think about uh, why, you know, if you think about Dortmund utilizing a 4-3-3, uh, it doesn't happen that often. I don't even know if it happened since Bosch, really. Um, so, yeah, I, I'm very happy with that, especially um, with the directness that uh, ensued from that. I think Dortmund looked very sharp in possession in their transition play, and uh, you hardly ever see that. Obviously, that's something also down to the fact that uh, Dortmund played against Sevilla, and they're obviously... A position-based side, and uh, they are sort of set up uh, perfectly for Dortmund to to play that way. I mean, Dortmund, I think, had 34% possession in this match. Um, but uh, nevertheless, um, it's just really nice to see um, balls being passed forward and vertically uh, through channels in the half spaces again. Uh, and Dortmund players receive the ball and then uh, continue with speed. I think he's just alone in the first half you had four or five situations where Dortmund were running uh, with full speed at uh, Sevilla's defenders and that's something you don't often see in the Bundesliga at all and something you really desperately miss from Dortmund because there's a lot of pace in there um, and obviously uh, we have to talk about Erling Haaland again also 
Lars, when you look at the first goal, I think it was a throw-in that he uh, sort of chested down and then, uh, uh, yeah, t turned around with the ball in his foot and then found Dahoud. I think uh, it, it counts as an assist. But uh, overall, a really well-created goal, especially uh, for Champions League night. Um, it's, it's kind of funny that Dahoud, of all people, who usually skies these uh, into row Z uh, scores, But uh, I thought it was a very, very well-taken shot. So, um, Lars, um, I would like to highlight a little bit uh, the, uh, the the play of the hoop before we talk about Haaland uh, because, uh, you know, he has been sort of a bit of the uh, forgotten son, I guess. Uh, what did you make of his performance? What stood out to you that he did particularly well? What can he do better, etc.? Well, first of all, I want to welcome Edin Terzic to our listeners because clearly he's been listening to our clamoring for a Dahoud start over the last few weeks. I mean, I still don't really understand why he never really got the, 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 the chance to show himself when every other combination didn't really produce the results that would warrant his being left out. I mean, we've talked about there being a little bit of a, you know, training ground dust up between Dahoud and Terzic, but I mean, if if that's resolved to the point that he's on the bench, then it might as well be resolved to the point that he can start games. So I'm just, first of all, I was glad even uh, an hour before the game when the lineup dropped that, you know, Dahoud had finally gets the chance to show his considerable qualities because I think uh, not for naught, I've dubbed him uh, lockdown in Iniesta over the last year because <laughs> I, do, I, I do think, uh, I mean, obviously that's a bit of an, exaggeration but I do think that for some reason ever since fans have been disallowed from the stadium uh, he's been a markedly better uh, midfielder for Dortmund and I don't really understand what he does wrong in terms of uh, you know training performances or whatever uh, I don't understand why he doesn't get the chance to show himself more often I think there was a, a real opportunity there after he was called up for the German national team for the first time, for him to really take flight at Dortmund as well, uh, given more chances to prove himself, because that must have been such a boost to his morale after three and a half almost years at Dortmund of, you know, uh, moderate success at best, I would say, uh, even uh, also from a personal perspective of his, even though he seems to be a fairly happy-go-lucky uh kind of player so I do think that they kind of missed, uh, missed an opportunity there and, and just hope that now he can uh, transform his really good performance against Sevilla into getting more play time and I do believe uh, given his form he's showed over the last uh, 12 months or so and get that given more opportunities he will produce good performances because uh, what you saw against Sevilla might have been a singular incident in terms of scoring a wonder goal, which is not something you should expect from a central midfielder all the time. But you also saw the the same qualities uh, that he's shown uh, repeatedly uh, over the last months. And uh, in that he's very calm on the ball. He always presents himself as a passing option. He, he talks a lot to his teammates, gives a lot of instructions, which, I mean, uh, when, when uh, a German players such as Dahoud, uh, such as uh, Hummels uh, do that or you know the goalkeeper you always praise them for being leaders but when Dahoud does it you people kind of uh, shrug it off as as a guy talking too much uh, so he to me is arguably Dortmund's best uh, combination of uh, aggressiveness in tackling tackling and also uh, ball playing prowess so I think pairing him with Bellingham and a base six which usually I guess Delaney would be the better option in that pairing or in that trio than John I think as at least against good opposition where uh, you don't expect to have the majority of possession I think that's a recipe for success and I'm glad that Terzic uh came around to seeing that uh, over the last uh, week or so after giving Dahoud a bit more playing time here and there. Yeah, I said uh, on the last episode that this is uh, maybe going to be Tessich's biggest game of his life uh, because we don't know how his uh, coaching career will go on. And uh, I mean, biggest game of his life as a head coach, I mean. And uh, thus far, obviously, he, he got it right. So uh, kudos to him. 
Um, for the hoot, he uh, had the most tackles of the team with uh, four. Second most is uh, Jude Bellingham. Obviously, uh, he had uh, one tackle in the defensive third and three in the middle third. But uh, also, he had the most pressures, uh, which were 15. Second behind him is Jude Bellingham and then obviously Marco Reus behind there. And uh, he also had the most successful pressures, meaning six, so about 40%. Uh, fbref.com here tells me so um in 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 those terms i think what i liked about the the hoot performance is there was rather complete obviously in the second half he uh, is also at fault for why dortmund became a little little bit more passive i think that's uh, especially down to that uh, midfield three not finding it as as easy anymore but uh, you know sevilla had to had to come and dortmund could have also uh, used a couple of counters had counterattacks a little bit better i think in the end they gave position away quite easily and uh but we can talk about this in a, in a minute uh just back to the what i really like is that um he was uh pretty much everywhere in in the half spaces and uh in his in his own half in midfield he really bossed the midfield uh like you would expect and uh he utilized the space uh i think you already talked about Dortmund being more switched on and I think you could really see that because uh, they were quick on their feet uh, by making decisions in a in a really quick fashion and uh, that's something we don't always see and that's I guess for many Dortmund fans very frustrating that uh, Dortmund can on a Champions League night turn it up like that but then too many times you just don't see it and you kind of want this more to be the baseline than the, uh, the ceiling I guess but uh, yeah it's it's nice. He obviously uh, had this uh, awesome strike. He had a couple of really good moments uh, in in midfield where I think uh, had he not retained possession or regained the ball, uh, Sevilla might have had Dortmund caught out. So um, very important. Obviously, uh, Jude Bellingham I think also made a you know had had a very good game and um, yeah. And for the second goal, obviously uh, a very quick. Rapid attack again, where Dortmund progressed the ball forward and one uh, two with Sancho. Then, uh, yeah, to to fire at Hopen, and the third, of course, uh, the uh, production pretty much of Marco Reus and then the layoff to Haaland. Uh, but nevertheless, you still have to finish it like that, where you sort of turn your body a bit to to the left, and then I think he finished it with a left foot into the far corner. Uh, nothing. That Bono could have done there, uh, the Sevilla goalkeeper, and I think he had another really good chance from a Dortmund counter attack where uh, the Sevilla goalkeeper did make a good save. But um, yeah, I think uh, you you already talked about the uh, role that Haaland had um, from uh, Terzic that there was a bit different. I think Terzic at the news conference after the game said it himself. Uh, that uh, when Sevilla uh, are in possession, that they are very forward thinking with their centre backs and. Uh, you know the uh, the skeleton defense, if you will, then uh, is only one defender, and if you have a one-on-one up front, uh, that bodes well for Dortmund. Um, so yeah, obviously uh, he is the talisman for Dortmund because uh, the way he he makes his runs, the explosiveness, um, yeah, he he binds players, he creates spaces, and so obviously he knows how to run and time his runs uh, amazingly well in order to uh, give his teammates a chance to pass the ball to him. Um, I'm just uh, really glad uh, the the way this all worked out. It's just super fun to see and to watch. And uh, yeah, I think Dortmund fans can be really happy to have a player like him, however long uh, they will be afforded that that honor, I guess. Lars, what what do you make out of this performance? I think it was the 17th and 18th goal now in his 13th Champions League match in his uh, still very young career. Yeah, I mean, uh, I'm not even going to get into all the numbers because they're so staggering and everybody's will, will have seen them uh, during the game, after the game, on social media and whatever. Um, it is quite remarkable to me that I think Holland is actually a better player in the Champions League than in the Bundesliga, uh, which I think he talked about uh, after the game about uh, the entire team having perhaps uh, a bit more motivation. I mean, you could get into whether that's a good or a bad sign, but I think he didn't really uh, 
mean to say too much uh, in in that regard. I think it's just for him personally. He's so switched on in the Champions League. It's like when when that anthem plays, he uh, gets into another gear. Uh, it's a bit like uh, Ronaldo used to do, in my opinion. But Ronaldo obviously always scored in the league as well. And for for however great Haaland has been uh, in the Champions League, uh, I think in the Bundesliga this season, and especially in the last few games, he did have a couple of games where he was barely visible, where he missed his only uh, chance against uh, Freiburg and uh, Hoffenheim uh, in the in the first half. Obviously, he scored against Hoffenheim in, uh, at the end, but. Um, I think he was kind of do you know another breakout performance, not in the sense that he was a a a an, a relatively unknown player and suddenly he's burst on the scene, but in the sense of that you know how good he is that whenever he doesn't uh, perform up to his standards, you wonder uh, you know when when will we he get back to the absurdly high level that he's already at at twenty years of age, so. Uh, I'm not surprised that it comes in the Champions League. As I said, he seems more switched on. Uh, perhaps it is more motivation, or you know, maybe defenders mm, of better teams giving him more uh, space. I think he's always in the few games he's had against Bayern, he also looked good, for example. So maybe he uh, is one of those players that works better against uh, teams that like to have the ball themselves and and create themselves. So. Um, the only thing that annoys me is that now obviously you have all these people who uh, talk only about when's he gonna leave where's he gonna go and you have these uh, BS rumors out of Spain where uh, Real Madrid who are basically broke and haven't uh, bought a player in I think two seasons now are suddenly going to spend an otherworldly sum uh, for, for a player that doesn't want to leave and Dortmund don't want to sell. So um, I think those people uh, might take some of the enjoyment away for me personally, but uh, I guess that's also my fault for giving them, you know, the the rent-free space in my head. Yeah, I, I don't know. I, I feel like when he joined, I was mentally prepared for this to happen. Anytime, anytime he scores a goal, I feel like the same is with Jaden Sancho. It's sort of the trade-off you make. Otherwise, uh, as a Dortmund fan, I don't think you come to enjoy players like this, to be honest. And uh, it just comes yeah, with the territory. The, the thing is, I, I'm perfectly aware that they're going to leave and whatever but just the the focus of some people yeah, to you just always wanna, make, make, you just make enjoy everything it. about make everything about lame as transfer market stuff i mean look at looking at you espnfc account yeah and i mean there are so many people now who uh want to earn internet brownie points by being uh, the first to point out stuff on the transfer market and all that i mean It, it used to be quite fun to follow for a while and, and dabble into, uh, you know, having opinions yourself and whatever. But to me, uh, that's like a phase of two years ago and now we could all move on to more productive things. Yeah, I mean, uh, people who know me know that I absolutely hate transfer rumors and the entire uh, silly season. Uh, I can entirely do without it, to be honest. And uh, you really have to poke me <laughs> to to talk about transfers, <laughs> something needs to happen, uh, like uh, explicit questions or so. Otherwise, uh, that's not just not my forte. I don't really enjoy it uh, because uh, there, there's usually enough factual stuff going on that you can talk about. Um, so yeah, the the first half obviously very interesting in the in the sense, and uh, last I think. Uh, What what I also liked about the setup is that Marco Reus was a bit more on the wings, and I don't think uh, that there was such a negative effect, um, is especially because, uh, um, yeah, he he uh, yeah helped a little bit uh, uh, Matteo Marie on the right side when he was playing there. I mean, him and Sancho, uh, just like uh, Bellingham and Dahoud, they switched sides a lot. Um, but uh, obviously, seeing him create and, and steal the ball of I think it was Papu Gomez in the 42nd or 43rd minute and uh, then have this uh, straight run to our goal um, that's vintage Marco Royce and uh, I think uh, it's it's nice to see obviously um, the, the one thing I would say is that we can obviously expect this of Marco Royce 
in a game like that. But uh, the the thing is, I don't think he has the legs anymore to do this week in and week out. So um, I feel like you need to rest Marco Royce a little bit more often and then, uh, yeah, have him have these, as you say, breakout moments maybe uh, where he can perform. So I think it was smart to rest him at the Hoffenheim game. I don't know if it, that was made with the Sevilla game in mind or not. Um, but either way, um, yeah, very important player in a high-profile game like that because he, as you alluded to on Twitter, I think makes a lot of smart runs, a lot of pressing runs off the ball, so really helps the team in, in that regard. And, uh, you know, Dortmund really had a lot of compactness in, in this game. Um, so that's uh, really something. Now, Lars, let's switch over to the second half, which obviously didn't end the way Dortmund imagined. However, um, Sevilla, for the most part... I think bossed the second half and uh, had a lot of the ball. However, um, I don't really recall any big chances out of open play that they had um, where Marvin had had to make saves like, say, uh, against Bebu uh, in the Hoffenheim match. Um, the only real danger really ensued from uh, free kicks. I, I think uh, Sevilla hit the post once and then it sort of hit the glove of hits but stayed out, which was a bit lucky. And then obviously the, the set piece at the very end. Um, what do you make of Dortmund being obviously very passive, very low block for most of the the game uh, in, the, in the second half, uh, but not allowing and giving away too many things? I mean, I don't think they were passive throughout the second half, even when defending in a low block. I think they definitely had some moments uh, in the first, I don't know, 15 or 20 minutes of the second half where they just invited Sevilla to uh, circulate the ball in non-dangerous areas. It was almost a, a far for special defensive performance where, you know, the, the opponent doesn't get into... Uh, areas from where you would expect high opportunity uh, high scoring opportunities to come from so um i think they they wanted to invite Sevilla to open up more spaces even and have some counter attacks I, I don't necessarily remember too many of those coming off i think that uh sancho had the chance after his solo run but that was a bit later in the game I, i'm not entirely sure um but then I think uh, Sevilla brought on fresh legs. I mean, Lopetegui made one sub at halftime uh, and then a triple sub and another sub late in the game. And so they had uh, eight fresh legs, if you like, when Dortmund hadn't brought on two. So uh, it, it's only natural that with the quality Sevilla have on the pitch, you will suffer a bit. And as you said, they didn't really uh, let Sevilla make any in rows in terms of uh, scoring opportunities from open play. So I, I I think that's obviously a good thing and a, and a good sign that for the most part they were uh, defending with concentration. I think there were a couple of uh, moments from Akanji and uh, Emojan where they weren't necessarily paying... Um, too much attention to their surroundings. I think especially that Akanji moment could have been a bit problematic. Mm -hmm. uh, did, didn't come off. So at the end of the day, I think when you consider that Sevilla uh, were the home side and you had a three a, a two goal advantage, I can understand that you will you want to drop deeper, invite them, don't spend too many energies in in a grueling season. So. I mean, would I have liked perhaps an earlier sub to uh, counter that a bit more? Yes, but as I said in, in the beginning, I don't necessarily know that I would have trusted any one of the guys on the bench to have a positive impact on the game, to be honest. I mean, uh, everybody knows how much I like Julian Brandt, but at the moment he is more of a risk than someone who adds something to the game. And then you have all these kids and ultimately... Uh, he made the changes, uh, Terzic made the changes he needed to make with Guerrero and uh, Reus having dead legs. Uh, I think especially Guerrero suffered quite a bit. So ultimately, uh, 
conceding that that dumb set piece where John just and he wasn't even boy watching. I, I it almost looked like he. he I think uh, Stefan Ursfeld said that it looked like he met someone in the stands. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so, but you can concede that or concede a direct free kick. Uh, so it doesn't really matter. One of these was going in, so might as well be not 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 be coming off the back of uh, Marvin hits his glove or whatever. So ultimately, I think the narrower scoreline was deserved for Sevilla and still a fantastic result for Dortmund because whenever you come uh, back home for the return leg and you can actually have two different defeats and still come through being a 1-0 defeat and a uh, 2-1 defeat I mean there's not too much to be uh, overly critical of. No, that's uh, entirely true. I mean, the uh, the first attempt that uh, Sevilla had in the second half was uh, Sergio Escudero in his 64th minute, and that shot was blocked. And then the next one uh, was in 74th uh, uh, by uh, uh, Rodriguez uh, Anais, uh, who then uh, hit the woodwork. Uh, I think it was from 26 yards out or so. And then obviously uh, you had uh, the Luc de Jong goal in the 84th, and then uh, uh, Rodriguez again in the... Uh, 87th or so with the, you know, it it, it it was another free kick, I think, attempt to a direct one from 28 yards. So, but that was just, I don't know, that the, the ball just swerved completely away. And then you had another one from Diego Carlos in the in stoppage time, which uh, hit saved, which also wasn't really uh, much of a test. So um, all these things considered, yes, conceding the set piece is obviously super annoying and especially... Uh, that John dropped the uh, so yeah I don't know he he's in, inexplicably stopped his run I think had he just uh, kept sprinting toward where uh, De Jong was heading I think he at least could have uh, defended it uh, do you think that that this is a ball where hits needs to come out and save it since it was in the air for quite a long time um I mean for non-Dortmund goalkeepers maybe but I mean we <laughs> what 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 have we come to expect with Berkey and hits the uh, to it almost seems like it's a coaching point they make not to rush out of uh, goal to claim these balls so I would almost give uh, hits the benefit of the doubt in 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 this one but generally speaking I would like Dortmund to have a goalkeeper who can come and claim that All right, fair enough. So uh, for the second leg, how confident are you that Dortmund are progressing, maybe percentage-wise? 51%. All right, I'll 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 take it. I'm uh, I'm giving them 64%. So um, I, I, I think... Uh, I I mean, we, we don't really know uh, what the uh, setting of this game will be, if it's uh, in Dortmund, if it's somewhere else. We don't uh, know that the game is going to take exactly, place. Exactly, exactly. To be, to be fair, so... So anyway, Lars... Uh, it's time now for the Schalke segment. Haven't had it in quite a while, but uh, it is time for the last review derby on Saturday, 6.30 p.m. kickoff local time. And uh, it's going to be a very interesting one because I, I feel like a lot of Dortmund fans were... Est- especially before the Sevilla game, rather pessimistic because Schalke right now are obviously last in the table with their nine uh, meek points that they have. Um, And Dortmund have previously shown that they can not win against the uh, last place team, I think. Wasn't it Mainz? Um, So, yeah. It's obviously an interesting... uh, game because it is a derby but also because I really want to see how Dortmund uh, react quote-unquote after the uh, probably straining match in Sevilla and probably also didn't help that they could only fly home today on Thursday instead of last night um, because of a delay so Lars what can Dortmund expect and first of all before anything else um, do you think that Tessic should stick with the uh, three midfields thing to have these aggressive guys in there, uh, which I personally probably would because it's a derby and you, you need that sort of thing. But what do you think? Um, I do believe that they are going to have much more possession against Schalke. So uh, given that this was presumably 
a tactical wrinkle for a game in which they weren't going to have the ball too much i think it's probably unlikely that they're sticking with it unless he just thinks that that can also work in other circumstances uh i'm a bit weary to predict things before the press conference especially this time around because as as i said earlier uh, guerrero and royce looked pretty dead on their legs and emil john uh had i think cramp uh late in the game might have been you know, a, a more severe muscular issue. We don't really know that uh, at this point. So I would assume that Delaney is going to come into the team and he should be highly motivated, obviously, uh, with the birth of his child. And he's always playing fantastically well in the mm-hmm. Riviera Derby. I think he's arguably been Dortmund's star performer uh, over the uh, the whole of the last, I don't know, four or five derbies, uh, even if uh, obviously Holland has scored a fair few goals and, and Guerrero has been involved in a lot of goals as well. But uh, I do think that Delaney is going to come in no matter what. And then you kind of presumably have to uh, figure things out going going from there, given you know the physical state of the players. But um, what can Dortmund expect? I think it, it might be cliché, uh, but it makes sense, especially given the circumstances of Schalke, for uh, Schalke to kind of treat this as a cup game. Um, I think there's been a lot of talk around Schalke this week that this isn't their last chance and whatever, but I do believe it's kind of last chance saloon if they want to have the turnaround they need, which is basically they need a series of four to seven or so wins to get out of uh, the absolute deep rough. Um they kind of need the spark that a derby win in this situation would give them. So I definitely expect them to come flying into every tackle uh, for Kolasinac to be booked within 15 minutes or so just to set the tone or whatever. (laughs) Uh, I'll be interested to see who's the referee and if he's uh, prepared to let them have at it or if he's going to protect attacking players which I think would definitely benefit Dortmund because Schalke don't really have any attacking players that need protection um, and and then you know I think the old adage uh, when it comes to the derby uh, you know you can f- throw the form out of the window table out of the window this is 90 minutes of a team fighting for survival and a team that has shown that sometimes they will when the opponent fights them too hard so I think the win at Sevilla definitely helps, but if they get complacent, I do believe they might be in for a rough awakening because I do agree with uh, what, for example, Michel Zorc said, that Schalke, while obviously in a horrendous situation in Bundesliga, uh, since Christian Groß has taken over for um, Stevens in, in, in January uh, and Manuel Baum before then, they do have become more solid and I mean it's a it's a very small success for them but hey he hasn't he has uh, not lost three of his nine games which is an improvement believe it or not over uh, the guys in charge before him so I do believe that Schalke are I mean probably no team since Tasmania Berlin has been as bad as the table has made it seem uh, when when being so far behind the rest of the league yeah, I mean, they will obviously be be without their striker, Klaas-Jan Hünteler. <laughs> I mean, he, he's played 10 minutes so far this season, so... Uh. <laughs> yeah, I'm just laughing. Um, but yeah, no, I, I assume Matthew Hoppe will play, who had uh, had a couple of goals for them so far. Um, uh, he's uh, not entirely crap, so I guess uh, they have Suat Zeta, Bentaleb Stambouli. That's sort of what I expect in their midfield. Uh, Kolasinac, I think, is the left-back, right? And uh, yeah, Mustafi has uh, also joined Schalke since. Um, I haven't really seen him play yet uh, because uh, right now I, I don't feel like I need to watch Schalke. Um, so it's it's going to be, you know, as, as often more up to Dortmund whether they are in the mood, quote unquote, uh, to, to play this derby like a derby. And uh, I think this too often had in the past has been the downfall for Dortmund that... Uh, they either weren't switched on enough uh, like they were, for example, in Sevilla or uh, yeah, Schalke got a little lucky in the sense that Dortmund created a million chances, but for some reason and Schalke goalkeeping couldn't finish. Um, yeah, I'm I'm very intrigued to to find out how, how this will go. Also, um, you've talked about uh, 
um, players being fatigued. I'm pretty sure that will be the case. Um, do you think that Meunier is already fit enough uh, to to start? Uh, maybe Torgen Hazard will be available. I don't think uh, from the, from the start, but maybe off the bench. Um, do you do you think that maybe Gio Reyna will rotate back in? What's about Julian Brandt? Uh, these are the questions that I have. Obviously, I would if if it were me, I'd probably give Hummels a rest or Arkanji, uh, probably both. Um, but uh, yeah, with Zagadou still probably also being out, uh, I also don't see that happening. So uh, in in that regard, uh, do do you see any changes to the lineup that do you feel are necessary? in order to have fresh enough legs against the Schalke team? I mean, as I said, I don't know uh, about uh, how the players reacted to the strain at Sevilla. Um, I think it would behoove Terzic to make as few changes as possible in, in uh, terms of not giving players an excuse for letting, uh, uh, letting drop the intensity levels or whatever from the Sevilla game. So everybody who played there and played well should be on a on enough of an emotional high to ride the wave against uh, the last place Bundesliga side as well. But I mean... You, you can basically expect a couple of changes after a midweek fixture uh, against a strong opponent and as you alluded to earlier also the uh, flight trouble getting that back home that's I mean it's not necessarily a huge deal but disruption in like recovery programs is always a bit problematic so I'm, I I would definitely not be surprised with a couple of changes here and there. Uh, I think Meunier makes sense in terms of uh, they don't really seem to trust Moret to play too many minutes. Uh, and seeing as he came off the bench against Sevilla, he would presumably be able to go at least 60 minutes uh, on, on Saturday evening. So uh, there are enough candidates. Let's just wait and see. I do believe that it would be nice to see Hazard again, but after rushing him on against Eintracht Braunschweig for no reason in the cup in December and having him re-aggravate an injury, I think they are going to play it fairly safe with him. And I mean, it's not like uh, Dortmund don't have enough important games coming up uh, that they would sacrifice everything for a Via Derby. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's definitely a weird game, I feel like, because Dortmund have couple of tired legs and Schalke are fighting for their lives and I'm not entirely sure how uh, how that derby itself will play out in the heads of the players how, how it will impact sort of the uh, the psychological factor because obviously uh, for Schalke players uh, this can also have a detrimental effect because there's uh, not only the the pressure of sort of fighting for your life but also the pressure of having to to win a Revier derby game and uh, you know a team that had had so many setbacks this can obviously also lead to yet another implosion um the few times i've seen Schalke this season um yeah i i wouldn't say that they were a very stable side obviously they are also um very uh susceptible to set pieces so uh, this is something uh, to keep an eye on that not only uh, Dortmund will concede some but maybe Schalke uh, as well um, obviously this will be a game where Dortmund will have tremendous amounts of possession in Schalke's half and uh, it's going to be very much an opposite I almost think to the Sevilla match so um, creating something out of uh, uh, your own uh, possession against a deep lying opponent that's probably just trying to uh, win free kicks and uh, corner kicks and uh, rush forward whenever they can um, yeah, it, it's it's key that Dortmund don't concede too many counters, but uh, also do risk a couple of passes uh, through balls, etc. So um, yeah, Dortmund will have to play smart, but uh, I I feel like um, the the Schalke opponent uh, doesn't suit them as well as Sevilla, if that makes sense, because uh, that's that was a game where they could actually sit back a little and uh, wait for transition moments. I don't think that Dortmund will have too many attacking transition moments. So, um, yeah, that's maybe one reason I would rather see Meunier because I think Dortmund will blast a million crosses into the box, um, which is not a very effective method to score, but uh, at least his crosses are, uh, you know, hit a little harder. So while I'm not really looking forward to Dortmund playing against Schalke because right now when they are 
task to make the play. It's usually not pretty. It's rather frustrating. It's often stale and uh, you have not many ideas. So um, yeah, I also really hope that Dahoot plays maybe alongside Delaney and gets stuck in a little and uh, maybe creates a couple of transition moments here and there. Um, obviously, a lot will ride on whether Dortmund can score the go-ahead goal or not. I think uh, if that happens, especially early on, uh, while obviously Schalke do have, uh, you know, they, they can master a, a challenge and a power play, if you will, but uh, I, I think if Dortmund uh, get lucky in this game and have a little luck with the run of play, uh, they can absolutely blow Schalke apart again. I think the the last wins were 4 nothing and the 3 nothing. if I have this right. So, um, Lars, do you think something similar will happen again? I think there's a reasonable enough chance that it that it's going to be again one of these games, uh, just because the the gulf in quality is quite stark. Um, even though I think in terms of individual quality, Schalke definitely aren't the worst side in the league. I think they've just been in this rut of form where nothing works, and then basically everything becomes a self fulfilling prophecy. And I mean. When we look back at this Schalke season in a few years uh, and and look back at who was in the squad, you will scratch your head a bit and wonder why they were relegated when uh, perhaps Bielefeld aren't or Mainz aren't. Someone's going to save themselves uh, from down there, presumably. So there's always the chance that the special circumstances of a Revere derby uh, flip the switch in enough uh, heads of Schalke players for them to get their act together and I do believe that they've shown especially in their 4-0 win I think over Hoffenheim that uh, you know when, if the switch is flipped then there's still enough quality in that team to uh, you know be a bit dangerous ultimately I don't know where Schalke goals would, would be coming from I think Matthew Hoppy had his uh, five and a half minutes in the sun <laughs> uh, I think he's already like uh, three games without a goal now or whatever. So I I mean, ultimately, when when it's all down to, uh, you know, non-quality factors in terms of mindset and, and how they approach games and how fresh Dortmund's legs are and whatever, that, that's always a bit of a mystery. But ultimately, uh, when in doubt, go with the much higher individual quality and... and presume that that's going to come through so i would expect and predict like a 3-1 win for dortmund yeah that probably would have been also my pick but i'm going to one up it then i'm going to say a 4-1 win for dortmund i mean Schalke have conceded 52 goals this season they are uh they have a goal difference of minus 32 and they've only uh scored 15 goals so far uh in 21 match days um, yeah, and obviously they have 14 losses and only one teeny tiny win and six draws. So, um, I I mean, if you look at the table, uh, even a draw, I think, for Schalke will not be enough. They really must win this game. So if it's a draw um, late in the game, I think they have to go for it even more than Dortmund will. I don't know um, how, how this will actually turn out. But in terms of, uh, you know, just... Uh, their existence. I mean, they're nine points behind Bielefeld, who are right now in the 16th place, uh, the the uh, first place for you to not get relegated automatically. Um, and obviously Hertha are also in 15th uh, level on points with Bielefeld. So um, it's still a long way for Schalke, uh, even if they get a win uh, at any point uh, to, to really turn around because you wouldn't expect Bielefeld or Mainz or Hertha for that matter, to completely go without uh, picking up points. So, yeah, this is this is why I'm dead certain that Schalke will go down, and uh, hence this is the last Revier Derby for quite some time. I don't know how long it will take for them to come up again. I mean, just look at Hamburg. It's been three years now. So, um, yeah, obviously, quickly, I'll mention that uh, Michael Zorc and Dortmund officials uh, in general have said that they wouldn't, uh, they're sort of rooting for Schalke to stay up, uh, except for this game. Uh, I don't know how you see it last, but uh, I'm sort of rooting for them to go down. I'm I'm fairly okay with that to get relegated. Um, I won't miss them for a year or two. I'm totally okay with that. How, how are you feeling about it? 
Well, I, I think that for the most part, it's commercial reasons uh, that Dortmund want them to stay up. Uh, I think the Revier Derby and, and Schalke as a massive club is still quite a draw for the Bundesliga in general and definitely more of a draw than a promoted side such as Holstein Kiel or uh, Spielvereinigung Reuterfurt, which is half of the quartet in the second division, which is looking likely to finish uh, in the first three spots. Um Personally, I always say in these uh, Revier Derby episodes that not being from the area, I never got the huge rivalry bug. I mean, I know a few Schalke fans in my larger social radius and I'm on friendly terms with all of them. So uh, I, I don't have anything naturally against Schalke such as uh, local people from Dortmund might have from, you know, childhood days or whatever. So... To me, it's uh, it's all the same uh, them staying up and, and dropping down. I think they definitely deserve to drop down for the bad work they've done over the last few years. Uh, and personally, to me, as someone who uh, for work has to watch a lot of second division stuff and write about second division stuff, it would be, I guess, fun or more fun to have Schalke to write about than... Uh, Waldhof Mannheim, even though they are not going to get promoted from the third division, but that was the first club to come to my mind. Yeah, the only sad part really is that uh, Schalke fans won't be in the stadium to be there and present when Schalke do finally make the plunge, <laughs> drop down to the second division. Um, that's the only sad part, but uh, yeah, it, it's obviously... The the one thing I'll say to, to wrap this up is um, obviously bragging rights are on the line so this is why Dortmund really must win this because you can't go three or five or however long it will take for Schalke to return and not uh, <laughs> have won the last and final review derby so um, please Dortmund players uh, get it together and uh, fire another hole in Schalke's chest and be the uh, nth nail in their coffin Anyway, Lars, um, that should be it for now. Uh, it's uh, the third episode already this week, so I don't want to ramble on forever. I'm sure we'll have plenty of things to discuss after this weekend and hopefully a derby win. Uh, so in the meantime, please tell our listeners again how to find you on the internet and your work. Just follow me at Lars Polman if you like. And uh, if I deem something worthy of your attention, I will uh, make sure to send a link. Very nice. You can find me at Stefan Butzko and you can find all of us at Yellow Wallpot on Twitter and Facebook. And obviously, if you want to subscribe to this show, please via, uh, do that via YouTube, iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Spotify, etc. or your favorite podcatcher app. Um, if you want to contribute financially, go to patreon.com slash the yellow wall for more information or just uh, hit me up on Twitter or, or so or drop us an email at yellowwallpot at gmail.com. Also, you can always send us a question via there or YouTube comments. And until the next time, as always, thank you for listening and goodbye.